0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Midweek Bible Study 2023 Spring Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Folk Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me today. It is Wednesday, March 15th. Today, we begin a brand new study with the books of First and 2 Peter, and the overall title for this study is Loving God Greatly. We begin with 1 Peter. First Peter was written to persecuted Christians, those living in Rome and throughout the Roman province of Asia. This letter encourages believers to remain strong. It explains how to live in difficult times, and it offers hope to all who suffer for the faith. This book also speaks to believers in all ages, those in the first century and in our century. God tells us how to respond to our tough times, especially when we're persecuted for what we believe. In this journey, we're going to discover courage, strength, and hope. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, but before we do, let's have a moment in prayer. Most merciful and gracious God, thank you for the privilege we have to study your word once again, and thank you for this new journey in 1st and 2nd Peter. We are excited to begin today, so teach us from your word in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 1st Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. That's 1st Peter 1, verses 1-12. That's 1 to 12. And let's talk about Paul's introduction and the salvation of our souls. Starting with verse 1, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you they wondered what time or situation the spirit of christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about christ's suffering and his great glory afterward they were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. All right, let's break this down. The first two verses, verses 1 and 2, contain Peter's greeting. Let's see what he says. Again, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here's our first question. Right off the bat, Peter identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why was that significant? In the style of ancient letters, Peter began by identifying himself. That's what they do in that time. That's how they wrote letters. He was an apostle, the title Jesus had given to the 12 disciples. Now the title apostle designated one who had authority to set up and supervise churches and discipline them if necessary. Even more than a title of authority, apostle means one sent on a mission, like an envoy or ambassador. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter wrote with authority because, like the Old Testament prophets, he wrote God's very words. The recipients of this letter, including us today, should remember Peter's connection with Jesus, his powerful ministry, and his authority to speak. But that makes me think of another question. According to this verse, who were the recipients of this letter? The recipients of this letter were god's chosen people that is both jew and gentile although god initiated our calling based totally on his wisdom we who are called still must respond and choose to follow him all believers have been called and chosen by god well what does it mean then that god's chosen people were living as foreigners when people accept jesus christ as savior and lord god transfers their citizenship from the world to heaven so while they live in this earth They're like foreigners in this world. The world becomes a foreign land to believers because their real home is in heaven, and they're only here on earth temporarily. The church had begun in Jerusalem, but before long it had spread across the Roman Empire and beyond. Peter wrote this letter to both Jewish and Gentile believers in churches scattered throughout various Roman provinces. More likely, Peter planned for the letter to be circulated from one church to the next throughout each area. He may have separated the names of each province to indicate the order in which the churches were to receive this letter. Next up, verse 2, it reads, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. The question is, in the first part of this verse, it mentions the Trinity. Why is that important? God the Father? God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit work together to bring about our salvation and provide a threefold assurance for believers. Although Christians are foreigners in this world, they can take comfort in the fact that God chose them long ago. But what does the phrase, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, mean? Christians have different viewpoints on how God's sovereignty relates to human freedom, especially in the area of salvation. Some believe God used his foreknowledge to look down on the quarter of time to see which human beings would respond favorably to his offer of salvation and then called those individuals to salvation. Others believe God does not base his calling on the foreknowledge, but rather sovereignly calls or elects certain individuals to salvation for his own glory. The salvation of the letter's recipients came through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's what it says. The apostle meant that God the Spirit had made unholy people holy, through Christ's death for sin, he purified them for God's service. God had saved the readers of Peter's letters so that they might obey Christ. Although following God's word did not produce their salvation, their salvation was intended to lead to obedience. While believers lived in rebellion against God, the Christians living through Asia Minor were to aim to do his will. God delivered us from sin so that we might faithfully serve him and his people. We need not live our lives aimlessly, but we should seek to discover and fulfill God's plan for our lives. But then Peter says, as a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. What does he mean with that part of the verse? Peter noted that the shed blood of Christ spiritually cleanses his people from their sin. According to Exodus 24, verse 8, Moses took the blood that was blood from bulls that were sacrificed from the basins and splattered it all over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Peter was saying that it was the blood of Christ that sealed the covenant between God and his people. But then in the last part of the verse, Peter says, May God give you more and more grace and peace. What does that mean? It was Peter's desire that God's grace and peace would overflow in the lives of his readers. His twin blessings, united typically Greek and Hebrew styles of address, Letters in Greek often began by wishing the reader grace. Jews greeted one another with a wish of peace. But certainly, Peter thought of grace and peace in terms of their Christian meanings. Grace refers to God's unmerited favor to sinners, while peace refers to the inner tranquility and contentment that comes from the reconciling work of Christ. Well, that was Peter's introduction in verses 1 and 2. Now, in verses 3 through 9, he'll talk about the believer's salvation. Let's look at that. Verse 3 reads, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we've been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. The question is in this verse, Peter shows us an appropriate response to God's great mercy to us. What's that response? In a word, what's that response? Well, the word that comes to my mind based on this is praise. Specifically, He blesses God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is one being in three persons. In this case, he praises the Father while acknowledging Christ as our Lord. Peter blesses God for his mercy. And as we've seen already in verse 2, God has chosen us, sanctified us, and given us a purpose. All of this happens without our ever needing to earn any recognition from him. This is grace, which is when someone gives something positive to another person that doesn't deserve it. Mercy is when someone withholds a negative consequence that another person deserves. Instead of the punishment that we deserve, God gave us something we could never have purchased or earned. He caused us to be born again. This is the very thing Jesus told Nicodemus must happen for anyone to see the kingdom of God back in John 3. Specifically, God called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, it's one thing to hope we're gonna be saved, to yearn for life after death. Jesus proved that this hope is not some fantasy. He died, then he showed himself alive to many witnesses. Our faith is not a wish for a better world. The reason for our hope and an eternity with the Father is that our Lord is alive. Because he lives, those who believe in him will also be resurrected. Bless God for his great mercy. Verse four reads, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. The question is, What is the inheritance Peter speaks of in this verse? The inheritance Peter speaks of here is that of eternal life with God. Jesus Christ is God's only son, so he is sole heir, if you will. But as children of God, believers also become heirs with Christ of this priceless inheritance. Peter used three Greek words here, each beginning with the same letter and ending with the same syllable in Greek to describe the inheritance. Those words are ephthartos, amiantos, and amarantos. Ephthartos means the inheritance is pure, uncorrupted, or imperishable. In other words, it won't lose its glory or freshness. Amiantos means the inheritance is undefiled or unsoiled. It will never become unfit for us or polluted by sin. And amarantos means the inheritance is immortal, or unfading it will never pass away disappear or come to ruin as a result of hostile forces these words contrast this inheritance with all earthly human possessions nothing in the natural order things like catastrophe sin age or evil can affect it god has made it indestructible existing for all eternity but then where is this inheritance kept the word kept is in the perfect tense in greek expressing a past activity with results that continue in the present. God has been keeping and still keeps the inheritance there, prepared, reserved, certain, and waiting. No matter what harm might come to believers on earth, the inheritance awaits, kept safe with God. Verse 5 says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. The question here is, It says in this verse that God is protecting us. Protecting us from what? God is guarding our inheritance, and He is protecting us from anything that might cause our inheritance, our eternal life with Him forever, to be lost. The Greek term used in this verse is fruoreo, a military term also translated as shielded, guarded, or protected. We are being protected by God's power. How powerful is God? How able is He? He is the God who created the universe. He's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the God of all. He is able, beloved. We are being guarded by God's power through faith. It's not our faith that's powerful. It's God. But it is a faith through which this relationship with God began and is maintained. We trusted him to save and we continue to trust that he'll do everything necessary to keep us saved. Next up, verse 6. It reads, So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Here's the question. Because of the promises of the inheritance we just talked about in the previous verse, how are believers supposed to respond and why? Believers can respond by truly being glad, which refers to a jubilant expression of gratitude. This type of rejoicing remains unhindered and unchanged by circumstances in our current life. Peter also said that the believers would have to endure many trials. When Peter wrote of trials, he meant the response of an unbelieving world to people of faith. Christians become the target of persecution, basically for four reasons. Number one, they refused to worship the emperor as a god, and so were viewed as atheists and traitors. Also, number two, they refused to worship at pagan temples, so business for those money-making enterprises dropped whenever Christianity took hold. Number three, They didn't support the Roman ideals of self, power, and conquest, and the Romans scorned the Christian ideal of self-sacrificing service. And lastly, they exposed and rejected the horrible immorality of the pagan culture. Now, as a side note, grief and suffering don't happen without cause or reason. While it may never be clear to us, we must trust God to carry out his purposes even in time of trial. All believers face such trials when they let their light shine into the darkness. We must accept trials as part of the refining process that burns away impurities and prepares us to meet Christ. Trials teach us patience and help us to grow to be the people God wants us to be. In comparison to the wonderful joy ahead, the trials will only last for a little while, and because of this, we as believers are to rejoice even as we suffer grief. All right, verse 7. It says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The question is, now Peter reveals that these trials, which cause us grief, exist for a reason. What is it? Peter says these trials test people's faith and show that it is strong and pure. To God, believers' faith is more precious than mere gold, the most valuable and durable substance of the time. Genuine faith is indestructible for all eternity, but it may take the fire of trials, struggles, and persecutions to purify it, removing impurities and defects. God values a fire tested or stress tested faith. Through trials, God burns away our self-reliance and self-serving attitudes so that our genuineness reflects his glory and brings praise to him. So how do trials prove strength and purity in a person's faith? A person living a comfortable life may find it really easy to be a believer, but to keep one's faith in the face of ridicule, slander, persecution, or even death proves the true value of that faith. Such faith results in praise and glory and honor given to the believers by God himself when Jesus Christ returns, in other words, is revealed to judge the world and take believers home. Next up, verse 8. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The question is, this verse points to the idea that we should walk by faith and not by sight. Why was or is this an important point for believers then and now? First of all, Peter had seen Jesus and had been personally trained by him. Peter knew and loved Christ as a man and as God based on three years of personal face-to-face experience, and Peter saw Jesus alive after seeing him dead. Yet Peter understood that most of the believers to whom he wrote had not known Jesus in the flesh. He commended their love for Christ even though they had never seen him. And even though they couldn't see him, they put their trust in him. To trust Jesus means to put one's confidence in or to depend on. Just like Peter's audience, we've never seen Christ in the flesh either, but one day our faith will be rewarded when Christ returns to take us home. And on that day and for eternity, we shall see him face to face. Until then, we live by faith with hope and joy. And this ought to bring us A glorious inexpressible joy next up verse 9 it reads the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls the question is this verse completes the thought Peter brought in verse 8 what does Peter say is the reward for trusting Jesus Christ believers receive salvation when they accept Jesus Christ as Savior yet salvation will not be complete until Jesus returns and makes everything new In the meantime, we continue growing in the Christian life and experiencing more and more of the blessings of salvation. As we continue to believe and rejoice, we also continue to grow toward maturity in Christ and in our promised salvation. Now in the final three verses, verses 10 through 12, Peter talks about the prophet's investigation. Let's find out more. Verses 10 and 11 read, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Here's the question. What is it in these verses that the prophets wanted to know? This salvation had been a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. They wanted to know more about it. They wanted to know what was meant by Christ's suffering. Peter was saying, how can you be discouraged? Don't you realize that you've seen the fulfillment of all the prophets yearning? Jesus once said to his listeners in Matthew 13, verse 17, I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Peter reinforces another critical idea in this verse. In the ancient prophecies, God promised a Savior who would suffer and then be glorified. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection fulfilled those prophecies. That same God has now promised that even though Christians may suffer now, we will also be glorified, and God has proven himself trustworthy to keep such a promise. Amen and amen. And now our last question for today. Verse 12 reads, They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you, And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter tells of the answers the prophets received from their questions from the previous verse. What were those answers? The Spirit had revealed to the prophets that they were ultimately serving future generations of believers. The prophets ministered to New Testament believers when they predicted Christ's sufferings and glories. The messengers of the gospel related these same truths to the church after Christ's resurrection and ascension. Looking back, we can see how God was working through these prophets, even though they were not fully aware of how God was using them. Those who proclaimed the good news did so in the power of the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord had sent from heaven. The same spirit who inspired the prophets also directed the gospel messengers. Peter's point seems to be that there is a united message proclaimed in the Old and New Testaments concerning Christ and his salvation. There are many different ways we can minister in the church. Ultimately, Christ and his salvation should be the foundation for our service. Now at the end of this verse, Peter said the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Why do you think our salvation interests angels? First of all, angels are spiritual beings created by God who help carry out his work on earth. Just as the prophets could not understand or experience the coming salvation of grace because it would occur after their lifetimes, neither can the angels understand or experience it because they are spiritual beings who don't need the blood of Christ to save them. But the angels know that God's people are the recipients of God's grace and blessings and that one day they'll be highly honored in the coming kingdom. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study today and what an amazing start it was. After Peter's introduction, it began as a blessing to God, but also described how incredibly he has blessed us in Christ. Because Christ has risen from the dead, our hope is not a wish. It is alive as he is. Then we talked about our inheritance as God's children. We found it is eternal, full of glory and secured forever. And even in our suffering, we have a reason to rejoice. And lastly, the mystery of God's plan has been revealed to us in Christ. We are being saved. Praise the Lord. Next time, we're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up at verse 13, crossing over into chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to talk about how to live out our salvation in practical ways. Going to be a great time for sure. Until then, thanks for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to be with you once again. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.